0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Brooke and Rhea show. Yay! Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so this is part three of the three-part miniseries that Rhea and I have been doing on growth and how to scale your six-figure nonprofit to seven figures.
1: Yeah. So this last installment is all about what we consider the external factors of growth. And so here's where we're going to talk about fundraising, y'all, which Brooke, it's my favorite topic of all time. I could talk about it forever,
0: forever. And you do, absolutely. I do. Just as a quick recap, in the first episode or issue, we talked about the sort of foundational mindset pieces of growth, money mindset, leadership mindset, and how you really need to think about an approach just at a core level the idea of growth of bringing in money of being the kind of leader in an organization that is ready to scale in our second episode we talked about what the inside of your organization needs to look like the internal infrastructure the systems the processes the team etc and so said we're building on that here and we're going outside to talk about messaging fundraising storytelling etc
1: Awesome. Brooke, first port of call here. Let's talk about messaging. And I know this is not a branding Mm -hmm. and marketing masterclass, so we're not going to get deep into the weeds here, but talk to me about why it is that we need to think about the kinds of messages that we're putting out in order to
0: attract the kind of donor that we want. Absolutely. I think this is a really key bridge, actually, between what we talked about last time and what we're talking about this time. The work that you do internally inside the organization around getting really clear about where the organization's going, right? And for those of you who have been following along, we talked a lot last time about strategic vision and being really clear about the cathedral that you're building, right? What does the vision of the organization look like? What's the impact you're having, et cetera? So this part of this conversation, the external part is how do you take that identity, that vision, those priorities and goals, and actually help other people understand them. When you hear people talk about messaging and storytelling, it can feel really wonky. I started off, both of us have spent our entire professional lives in the nonprofit world, and marketing always felt like this sort of wonky thing that other people in other sectors did, but really all it is messaging, saying the right thing in a way that will connect with the right people. The key takeaway here is you have to take that vision that you've crafted. Where are you going as an organization? What will you look like? What are you building? What does your team look like? What's your identity as an organization? And you need to craft messages for your different audiences. And when I say audiences, I mean who are the people who, if they hear that vision, when they hear that mission, when they hear the description of the cathedral you're building are going to raise their hand and say, oh, wow, that's me. I love that. Those are your people. And you have to take this vision that you've crafted and talk to those people. That's messaging. That's when we say branding. That's how you signal to the people that you want to reach. Hey, you're our people. That's sounds yeah. right.
1: I have to think about it like thinking about the kind of fish you want to catch. like. You have to write out the right bait for the kind of fish you want to catch. And I think we don't, when we're not specific about the bait that we're putting out, then any fish comes in or maybe no fish come in, but you have to tailor it. So this actually gets us to the ideal donor.
0: Should we talk about that now? Absolutely. And I want to just put a sort of stake in the ground here. I'd love for you to talk about donor Avatar, And I call it a stake in the ground because I feel like people hear that phrase, right? Ideal donor avatar. And their eyes glaze over and they say, oh my think, God, oh my God, oh my God. they say, oh, no, like our ideal donor are people who love children. Or God, oh my God. Are. I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> so many <you> ever- things.
1: <laughs> okay, Okay. I just want to start by talking about the world that we're living in. The world that we're living in politically- is becoming more divided. Like we all used to sit down in front of NBC on Thursday nights and watch Friends. Back for the babies out there, that's what we did in the 90s, right? We are living in a world of hyper fractionalization, like micro niche, micro audiences. And so when you're thinking about your donor avatar, you have to go deep, not broad. So if your ideal donor is, Everyone in New York City, guess what? You're talking to nobody if you're talking to everybody. There's literally no product or service on this planet that is for everybody. So you're going to want to win the game by going super specific. So when I think about a donor avatar, I look at the top 10% of my donor base, right? Because your top 10% is most likely going to be responsible for 90% of your income. And at the top 10% you do an analysis and you create a donor avatar right you put down on a piece of paper who are that you can even name it this is their name this is this is where they live this is what they read these are the yeah. social media sites they hang out this is where they went to school right the more specific you can be in your mind the more you can tailor your message to talk to that person most importantly what you're really going to want to do is to think about the values of that person. Why do they care about the thing that you're doing? Is it because... Psychographics. So let's say you have an education nonprofit. Is your top donor, do they give to you because they have kids and they have seen how hard it is to navigate the educational landscape? Is it because they had a teacher in their lives that really made a difference? There are so many reasons and... The other thing is, and this drives me crazy, we spend so much time trying to mind rate and it into the mind of our donor as opposed to just asking. Like, why don't we just ask? Yeah. The yeah. thing that we need to do is we create this profile and then we test it because it's a hypothesis. You don't really know. So then you set up an informational interview with your avatar type. Let's say you do three of them. Of the three, what do they have in common? There must be two or three things that they have in common. You ask questions like, why do you support this organization? Why does it matter to you? What has been a really great donor experience? What would you think that we can improve? You you data gather right, and then based on what you have learned, you then go back and you tailor your messaging to attract those kind of people. And the pushback I get it was like, "Bria, if we're super specific in our messaging, won't it turn off all of the ninety percent that we're not talking to?" You? Yeah, it will, and that's yes, the point. Will. That's the exactly. point. Good marketing attracts, great marketing repels. Like you want someone to come to your site and see your stuff and immediately know this is for me or this is not for me. And if they know that if it's not for them, they're
0: not going to waste your time. They're not going to waste their time. Yeah, go ahead. I want, yeah, I want to give like a little, so I tell this story in my accelerator and it just really, it helps people like click in their minds why this is so important. You and I talk about this all the time. I know in your fundraising accelerator, this is a whole part of it, right? How do you identify your ideal people? And still, and I know this is true for you because you and I have talked about it. And still the pushback is,
2: we're going to leave money on the
0: table or I'll do that. Like we just need to do our event this year and next year we'll think about this, right? There's so much pushback. So here's how I have explained it to people. I go to a dinner party of people I don't know, like my husband and I go to a dinner party and I find myself in this great conversation about a book that I read. And this actually happened to me like maybe 10 years ago, Warmth of Other Suns had just come out, which if you guys have not read it, absolutely amazing book. That's off topic. Okay. So we're, I'm talking about this book and I'm obsessed with it. I took three days off work to read this book. I find this other woman at this dinner party. This is what I was going to do. I sat in a Le Pen and read this book. But I find this other woman, and she has just read it, and we just spend the whole night vibing about this book. Okay, Annie, is her name. Fast forward two days later, I get an email from Annie. It's, hey, it was so great meeting you. The author of this book that we both love is coming to the Barnes & Noble in Union Square. Do you want to meet up and have coffee and go see this author? Now, I have just met Annie, but the email that I got from Annie it's personal, it's intimate, it's tailored to me, it's about some a passion we both share. And I'm like, absolutely, I will be there. That is how you want every donor that comes into your world to feel as close to that sense of personalization and intimacy and shared passion. Contrast that with: I'm writing down Lafayette and I see a billboard that's hey. There's this book on African-American history. They don't tell me the title. They don't tell me the author. They're like, we're going to be talking about it at Union Square. I'm not even going to pay attention to the billboard. It might be something I'm interested in if I knew, if I felt like it was about a personal passion. But billboards aren't intended to motivate individual action at that level. So the contrast or like the analogy here is you want your donors when they get your emails, when they see your marketing material, when they read your website to feel like, I did when Annie reached out to me. That's how you get them to come to your cultivation event. Oh, this person's talking to me about something they know I'm interested in. Of course, I'm going to come to their event. Of course, I'm going to give to their campaign. That's always the analogy that resonated with me.
1: Yeah, I love that. But but the other piece, too, is I think we need to be really clear here that we're talking about organizations that are sub a million. And at sub a million, you don't have the marketing budget or the team or the capacity to have broad strategy like you you don't literally have the resources to talk to as a board member once said every person in new york city i was like i don't even know what that means shut up instead (laughs) the way you're going to win the game is going really specific and really deep and so this idea of i'm going to leave money on the table doesn't actually make any sense because you're already leaving money on the table if you're not talking to your top 10 percent in a really specific way and p.s let's just think about luxury brands like Mercedes-Benz is not sitting here trying to get the Volkswagen people. If you're a Honda person, you are not a Mercedes-Benz person, right? If you are a Swatch person, most likely you are not a Rolex person, right? And so I think you just need to decide what lane you're playing in. And if you're trying to do this broad grassroots strategy, you can do that. But that's really, unless you have incredibly huge ad spend money, you're never going to be making a
0: ton of money from that strategy. I think that's right. So I actually think that's a great tee-up for the next topic we wanted to talk about, which is, okay, how do you find these people? Yes. it isn't a billboard, (laughs) it's not a billboard. It's clearly not necessarily going to be like going to individual dinner parties and pay one donor at a time. How do you get in front of the right people? And. Sorry, Brooke, before we jump into can I just say one thing that
1: is like my personal pet peeve? I think it's so important yes. to talk about donor acquisition and like how to attract people. Yes. But nine times out of 10, the problem that I see, especially with small nonprofits, is that your donor retention is a problem. So if you are not retaining your donors more than, say, 70% year over year, you need to plug the holes in your leaky bucket before you even start to think about any of the strategies that Brooke is talking about, because Brooke is talking about a donor acquisition. If you're not focused on donor retention first, you're going to get a whole bunch of new, interesting donors, and they're just going to pour through the bucket. So anyway, pet peeve,
0: donor retention first, donor acquisition second. Please continue. I love that. And actually, quick and easy tactic that folks listening can think about Run a report of donors from your last three years and look at who hasn't given in the last 13 to 15 months. Those are what we call lapsed donors. Some of the easiest, cheapest, and by this the least amount for the highest return on donor investment are lapsed donors. They're people who have already raised their hand and said, yes, I'm in. And usually, as we're saying, because stewardship is not always something we're amazing at, they have lapsed. That is a great low-hanging fruit place to start run a lapsed donor campaign. Every, every organization can do it every year. I guarantee you have lapsed donors when you run a report. So if you're looking for like a, hey, what's my first step? What's an easy way in? You can start there. For sure.
1: Okay. So I'm sitting here. I'm listening. I'm an ED. I'm like, okay, Ria Brooke. Cool, cool. Got my donor attention. I know who I'm talking to. I got my messaging dialed in. So now what? Like, where do I find the people? How do I bring people into my world?
0: Amazing. So I'm going to, and we've talked about, Rhea and I have talked about this in sort of longer ways and other platforms, but I'll highlight here four strategies that you want to think about when you are trying to get in front of or attract the right donors. And Rhea and I both use the word attract on purpose. It is very inefficient to have to hunt for and chase new donors, to constantly be looking for where am I going to go to meet this new person? Some of your fundraising is always going to be identification, right? You have to identify, but it is more efficient to identify what we call watering holes, right? Places in people's lives, in your city, online, where your ideal donors are already congregating. These natural places where they are going to get their information, to find community, things that every human needs. When you're doing your identification work, looking for new donors, identify watering holes and get in front of large numbers of potential new donors all at once. And so that's when we say attract, that's what we need. Go to these watering holes, go back to point one, use the right messaging. And the people at that watering hole or in that watering hole will raise their hand and say, I want more information. So what are the four types of watering holes you want? Stages, pages, social media, and partnerships. Pages are both physical and metaphorical. These are places where you can broadcast your message to a lot of the right potential donors at once. Think conferences. Think webinars. Can you be a keynote? Can you be a panelist or a moderator? Can you do a breakout workshop at a conference that your people might go to? Can you host an online convening? How can you, either from a physical or metaphorical stage, broadcast your point of view, your organization's data, even just your mission, right, so that the right people hear it and get in front of them? Pages are very similar. They are webinar blogs. They are traditional media op-eds, places where the right people can read about what you're doing, your point of view, your data, your perspectives, et cetera. Can you be a guest blogger? This is where things like op-eds are really powerful, right? Get your point of view, your thought leadership out in the world. The third, social media. And... People my age still sometimes, EDs out there who are my age can roll our eyes at social media because we think, I'm not going to do a dance on TikTok. And I'm not at all, neither of us are recommending you do that. And, but social media is an incredibly powerful top of funnel, meaning attraction awareness building tool. So, Think about which social media platforms your ideal people are on. You do not need to or want to be on all of them. Where are your people? If you are trending younger, you might think TikTok or Instagram. If you are doing work in the visual arts, you might think Instagram. If you do work that lends itself to video, you might think YouTube, right? LinkedIn, which is a platform. And then again, how can you make people on those platforms aware? of what you're doing. And then invite them onto your email list. And then the fourth watering hole are partnerships. And these are institutional partnerships, other nonprofits, for-profits, government agencies, libraries. Think creatively about institutions whose audiences are your audiences.
1: Yeah, we talked about OP for the 90s people, other people's (laughs) platform, right? Because Inevitably, someone has more eyeballs than you do. And so how can you partner with them? Not in a way that is going to cannibalize each other, but can you strategically partner so that you're both exposing
0: your message to a wider audience? I was going to say, so there are two things I'd love you to actually talk about building on all of this. The first is the fact that it doesn't just have to be the EV on these pages, in these spaces, right? Who are your natural ambassadors? And we want to talk about boards. And then I'd actually love for you to talk about the, I was going to say power, but just like the importance, the centrality of storytelling, right? Again, you're right people, you're in the right places. Storytelling is something that I think nonprofits need to focus a lot on. So I'd love if you to talk about both of those.
1: Yeah, actually I'm going to flip it because I have thoughts. Okay. Dr. Russell James is this really fascinating researcher in Texas. And essentially, he put people in MRI machines and he talked to them about business things. And then he talked to them about philanthropy. And what's interesting is different parts of the brain light up. So, the part of the brain that lights up when you talk about business is actually in front, right here. And then the part that lights up when you talk about philanthropy is your middle brain. And your middle brain is where we have emotion, where we feel love where we feel family, right? And so what story does, like on a very kind of neuroscienty level, is it bypasses the logical brain and hits us in the emotional part of the brain. And so for us to unlock generosity, we need to access that through story. So story as a construct is uniquely human. And that is a reason why as a species, we've actually been so successful, right? We're not the fastest, we're not the strongest, we can't, we don't have claws and teeth the way that other animals do, other species do, but what we do have a story. And story has helped us to cooperate at scale and, and er, ergo build all of the things. So all to say that when you are fundraising, the currency is story, because I think When you're, like, when you go to the grocery store, we understand that transaction. I give you money, I get my groceries, right? When we're trying to raise money philanthropically, the currency is actually good feelings. Like, I give you money because I want something to happen in the world, and I want to feel good about myself. I want to tell myself that I'm the kind of person that, like, saves the whales, or sends kids to college, or ensures voting rights, like, whatever that thing is, but that, it, that happens on an emotional level. So oftentimes, when we give money, it is an emotional decision that we back up with data. But essentially, we use it as a validation for something we've decided in our hearts. Okay, that being said, let's talk about what makes a good story. Because I, I think a lot of us don't understand that there's a framework here. And we just think that like, natural-born storytellers are born, and some are, but actually a lot of times natural-born storytellers or people who seem like naturals are actually a practice. It's just getting the reps in. So basic framework of making a story. You have you, a you, a character, and like normal life. Then there's some kind of explosion. Some Something happens, right? Something that makes it impossible to live your normal life. And then you make a choice. And based on that choice, there is an outcome that happens, and therein lies the story. And usually at the end of the outcome, there's a victory of some sort or a resolution of some sort. And the character then goes back to living their new life, uh, their enriched identity. So let's come up with an example. Star Wars, classic example. Luke Skywalker is living on his farm in Tatooine. He's told that he's a Jedi and he's like, no, I'm good. I just want to stay here and live on my farm. Then the farm gets blown <laughs> up and he can no longer just live on the farm. His aunt and uncle die. So he then is called to adventure. On that call to adventure, he meets a guide, Yoda, right? Yoda then helps him through the trials and tribulations. He like fights with the empire and then he goes back a Jedi. So our role in all of this is A, to be the Yoda. To our donor stories, but also to construct right, our role stories. as the
0: organization.
1: Our role as fundraisers is to be the Yoda. And we are not the, yeah. he- we're not the hero of the story. Our donors are the hero of the story. However, the way we get them to engage in this adventure with us is that we compel them with stories that hit the heart. And when I say stories, I'm talking about deeply felt moments of inflection in your life that tell us who you are, right? Because When you tell me a story about who you are, I resonate with, oh yeah, me too. Like empathy is triggered in my mind. And so the way that we get there is that we provide rich details. So for anyone who's ever seen a movie and gets really into it, like your brain intellectually knows that this is not real, but your emotional brain is experiencing it as if it's happening. And so the more we can get detailed about stories, the more we can get emotional, the more we can get people to see the world through our eyes and live in that moment, the more they're going to be with us emotionally, which is we know where generosity lies. I don't know. That was a lot to say. All to say though, that we need to have evocative stories that really help draw in our donor to go with us on a philanthropic adventure.
0: I love that. I I love a good framework. (laughs) So that story framework is really powerful. And I just want to lift up I think one of the really powerful things he said, which is, "The organization is not the hero." Yep. I'm just going to say it again. <laughs> the organization is not the hero." One of the toughest things when working with founders, I think, and I've been there, so I feel okay saying this about my fellow founders out there, when you are the person operationalizing a vision that has come largely from you, your perceptions, your experiences, your understanding of a problem, it can be really hard not to center that in your messaging. Here's what's exciting about what we are doing. And I think, honestly, traditional philanthropy foundations, et cetera, reinforces that by saying, you know, what's amazing about you as a leader? What's amazing and different about what you're doing? And so we get used to our messaging being about us. Mm. Let me tell you the amazing impact we just had last month. That's right. That doesn't make people feel that you call it empathy. Another word is affinity that they don't see themselves in your story. Yep. That's if right. You are essentially patting yourself on the back. So I just wanted to lift that up because it's such a powerful shift that we're organ- a simple shift that organizations can make in their messaging, going back to talking to the right people and saying the right thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it- I I just think about, if you think about some of the most iconic and successful brands in the world, right? Let's think of Apple. Let's look at Nike. Let's look at like any car commercial you see it. The car commercial is never about. This is how amazing we are. The car commercials think about how amazing it's going to be for you when you're on this adventure you're with your family, in the, exactly. right? Like the or like you're going down like the freeway and the, the windy road and like you hit the top of the mountain. Like it's aspirational because you're trying to show me where I belong in this story. Because at the end of the day, like we're all self interested. Like we're all the stars of our own personal movies, right? Apple doesn't say like. This amazing technology, Apple says, think about how cool you're going to feel when you have the newest iPhone or the newest gadget. People are going to yeah. think it, you, you are like an artsy kind of person. Nike, think about the kind of athlete you're going to be when you put our shoes yeah. on, right? So Even it's their a- tagline, just do it. Just That's do it. Directed at me. That's, that's right. about me. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. That, that's right. I, yep. They don't spend their time to be like, and then here's like our high tech technology, blah, 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 blah. Like that's they right. might get into that in the small details, but the big, the highlight, the headline, the, the headline here yes. is you're going to be amazing in these shoes. These shoes are going to make you into LeBron James. It's aspirational, All right? When we think about the way that we use storytelling and messaging for fundraising is think about how awesome you're going to feel when you send these kids to college or when you save yeah. the whales or when you clean the ocean, right? We want to feel mm-hmm. like they, someone did analysis of the giving pledge and all of the billionaires who signed on. The number one reason that people signed on is that they want to make a difference. So let them make yeah. the difference. Tell them how they can be invited into this adventure to make the difference that they want to have in the world.
0: There's this just... just so much amazing research about donor psychology and the, the psychology of giving and the number one donor trigger and there's reciprocity and empathy and all of these things that we can go through in a different podcast conversation, but the number one is identity. Yes. That's the trigger. That's yes. the thing that makes people give and that keeps people giving when they believe about themselves, that they are the kind of person that helps kids go to college, That's the right. kind of person that brings about, that's about who they are and that's. Sense of identity is deep. It's yeah. really deep. That's what you want to tap into.
1: Yeah. And to go back to the donor avatar thing, you want to answer. People like us do things like this. Who's the yeah. us and what's the this? People yeah. like us, let's say the us is like people who care about education. Donate to this because we believe in the power of education to uplift lives. Or people like yes. us who are environmentalists do things like this because we believe in the environment. So, the more you can yes. get in identity based affinity, the stronger your community will be. Like, not that I adhere to this, but the MAGA crowd, like the GOP MAGA crowd, like they have developed a very yes. strong yes. identity, right? Yes. However, you feel about them. It is an interesting case study of identity-based community building, and they've done it well. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to bridge this into leveraging ambassadors, right? Your board, your yep. advisors. But I want to do that by circling back to where we started in this conversation, talking about strategic vision, priorities, and bold, right? So. All of this stuff about storytelling and messaging and donor avatars is wonderful, but it is not done in a vacuum, right? It is anchored by your identity as an organization. And that is the work that we talked about last time, your strategic vision. So when you are thinking about the we are people who X, right? This is the we, this is the community, this is what we're doing, that X is informed by and shaped by that end goal, is informed by and shaped by the kind of organization you're building and the kind of impact you want to have. Out in the world, and I receive messaging about an organization that does a particular kind of thing, that has a particular kind of mission, and its theory about how it's going to get there is very specifically about micro grants to small community-based farmers so that they can build their own farms and sell their own products. That's a particular vision for how to arrive at a, a better, more just world. That's the identity you're looking for is shaped by where you want to go. And the messaging has to remind people or show people, oh, this is the vision of the world that we're going to build together. So I just want to bring the storytelling writ large back into the context of this is all informed by what you have said to your ideal donors, your vision for change is, what you're inviting them into and what you're inviting them to help you co-create.
1: Yeah, I think that can all really be nicely summarized into the idea of a controlling idea. So in your yeah, communications, like yes. in your messaging, in your strategy, there should be one controlling idea and it should be so obvious that everybody gets it, right? So let's go back to Nike. The controlling idea is performance. Like, and everything that they do goes back to this. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. And we know that, and it's all in service to this one controlling idea.
0: Podcast about Rolls Royce. Yeah. The history of Rolls Royce. Luxury. That's the controlling idea. Controlling idea. Or I always like this example
1: that Emily Hayward uses. She does did work for Casper, the mattress bear. And you might think that their controlling idea is like mattresses, whatever. Their controlling idea is good rest improves your life. And so that's why they are able to do all sorts of things like sheets and eye masks and whatever, because it's all around this controlling idea of good sleep, not just mattresses. So I would say have spend some time to think about what is your one controlling idea? Like the, it's almost like Lord of the Rings, like the one idea to rule them all. What is that one thing that you're trying to get across to people? And then yeah. how do you build things like talking about the problem? How do you build things about giving people a solution? How do you talk about yeah. foreshadowing the kind of world that you will live in
0: if you are successful with this one controlling idea? I love it. And so now... How do you help your board to do this? Because this is where people, one of the places that I think folks get stuck.
1: Okay. So I think, so number one, I think as a leader, your number one job is to create clarity. Create clarity yep. all the time and say the same thing over and over and over again. I was thinking about that parable about, sorry, about JFK. And when he was trying to get elected, he talked about putting a man on the moon. Really right. Really That's right. And then when he was elected, he went to NASA, he talked to everyone, chief scientist down to the janitor. Said, what are you trying to do? Uh, to the one they all said, try to get a man on the moon. Trying to get a man on the moon. They so clear.
0: Absolutely.
1: We are all aligned to try to get a man on the moon. So that is the kind of clarity that you need to offer to your board. Of like, this is what we're doing. We all need to get on the same page. And here's the thing. I think sometimes we shy away from that level of clarity because we're afraid that some people will be offended or not want to go along. Good. They shouldn't like they need to They're know. Not your people. They're not your people. This is the ride we're on. If you want to be on a carousel or whatever else, like you can get off the ride, but you know, there has to be absolute clarity. And then when you have absolute clarity, you then have an opportunity. Actually, let me back up. So there, when we think about communications and marketing and all of that, we should be thinking about how we're using these vehicles to increase trust. And there are three kinds of trust that we need to think about. There's competency trust of like, literally, are you good at the thing you say that you're good at? There's community trust. Does somebody that I trust say that they trust you? And the third is caring trust. Do you care about me as a person? Where your board really comes in is community trust. How often have you, Mm Brooke, I certainly have given to an organization that wasn't my thing, but somebody I loved
0: asked me to. I was like, all right, I trust you. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. This This is is really I We have a
0: pot set aside because there are always people that we trust that say, I believe in this mission. Will you help us? And we're like, sure, we'll buy a ticket. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It can also be called a halo effect, but essentially you're borrowing their credibility and their trust in order to open their networks. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Sometimes we abuse that trust, right? Sometimes we have board members who pass on a name, make an introduction, and we don't really treat that person very well, or we drop the ball, or we like don't plan the thing So what I'm going to say, there are a couple of key reasons why I see board members who are not engaged in fundraising. Number one is they were not recruited with the expectation. So it's actually not fair to expect them to do it if you didn't tell them on the front end that's the ride we were on, right? So number one, recruitment. Number two, training. Just because they're successful in whatever realm they're successful in doesn't mean that they know how to fundraise. And in fact, many people are very afraid of fundraising. So you need to provide some training for them to actually do it. Number three, accountability. So you have to have some leadership to make sure that if they agree to be on this ride and they say that they're going to do stuff, like we have to make sure that they're going to do stuff. And then the fourth thing I will say is be really clear about the fact that fundraising is not all solicitation. So you have to right size the ask to the thing that they're good at. So let's say, for ex- I had an example. I had a board member who was, she was a European. She was like, Ria, I know I'm on this board. She gave generously personally, but she's just, there is no way I'm ever going to ask my friends for money. It's just not ever going to happen. I was like, okay, cool. Turns out though, she loved hosting parties in her beautiful townhouse. Loved it. So I was like, cool. Here's what we're going to do. Like your role in this is we're going to ask you to host a couple of dinner parties of prospective donors that we want to talk to. You don't have to ask anything. You just make the introduction and you host a beautiful party in your beautiful townhouse and that will be the thing that you do. So I think we also have to make sure that our ask isn't something that someone's just not going to do. Find the thing that they are going to do and then have them do the
0: thing. I think that's exactly right. And to build on that, I think being clear with your board about how expansive the definition of fundraising is. I think one of the challenges that... In addition to the ones you identify the accountability and the clarity about expectations, I think a really deep rooted challenge that we all have in different ways with fundraising is that when people hear fundraising, what they actually are hearing is asking, and they hear those two words as the same and They aren't. They are not the same. Fundraising is not asking. That's why they're two different words. Fundraising and solicitation are not the same thing. There is a cycle. There is a process. There's a system to fundraising. And the ask, the actual saying of the words or invitation to invest or give is at the end of a process, (laughs) the biggest part of which is cultivation, right? So if you actually identify the right people, Right. So going back to why you cannot skip over understanding who your right people are. If you're talking to the right people and you build a relationship with them, the ask gets easier. Right. And that relationship building part, the reason the ask gets easier is what you're inviting people to do. And you talked about trust. Right. There's four things. They have to know about your work and your organization. They have to understand what you do and where you're going. They have to see themselves in that journey, that affinity, that empathy. And they have to trust you. Mm-hmm. and to trust that you are going to do, right? So that's what, when we talk about, what does it mean to build a relationship with a donor? No, understand, affinity, and trust. Okay. Your board can be and should be part of all of that. So when you're talking to your board about their role in fundraising, and setting the expectations, and being really
2: clear about. When you're being really clear about all of those things, make sure that you're clear with your board that part of their role in fundraising is the relationship building. Is yeah. the, who are the right people? How can you let the people in your network know about our work, understand our work? How can you build trust? How can you invite them into a relationship? And that counts as fundraising.
1: The SAPS2 is like real talk is I think ED like many EDs don't understand that process of the donor journey. And so it's very hard for them to lead if they themselves aren't aware. So that's where we come in. So Brooke, if folks are listening to this and they've listened to the other two episodes and they say, This is great, Brooke. I want to grow past a million, and I just don't know how we've laid out some frameworks and roadmaps for you, but if they need extra help, where do they go? What do they do? What's the next step here?
2: The best place to start is the quiz that you and I have put together. And it is a quick and easy quiz. It walks through some really core questions that will basically tee you up to understand where you need to focus next, the best next step. Is it the mindset piece? What does your internal structure need to look like? What can you focus on externally? And so if you go to the link in the show notes, take the quiz, Rhea and I have put together some really awesome tools and resources that will specifically guide you through the steps you need to take to shore up your organization in these three areas.
1: Fantastic. So if you are listening to us and you take the quiz and you realize that you need some extra support in helping to build out your systems, we have something for you. So Brooke and I have put our brains together. We've put together the best of what we each teach individually. And we put together the Fund Your Strategic Vision online course for you. These
2: modules and each one is broken down into five to 10 minute lessons. So, very easy to digest. With templates
1: and how-tos for the amazing price of $200. This is the best deal anywhere. So if this is something that you need in your life. And this represents at least 40 years worth of trial and error that Brooke and I have done. <laughs>
2: that number doesn't even sound like it makes sense. <laughs>
1: I know, right? 40 years of trial and error. Get This will save you literally decades of learning on your own. And for $200, it's a peanut at Whole Foods.
2: That's right. And I just want to highlight, it's highly actionable. One thing that Rhea and I have in common, which is amazing, is there's not a lot of time to just take in information that's not going to really do anything. So it's how do you clarify your strategic vision? What does that document look like that you can take into conversations? What are the assets you need to fundraise? How do you craft your message? How do you find your donor? After? Literally everything you walked through. And you can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash fund your strategic vision.
1: And we will make sure to put the information that's shown us too for all of you who are ready to buy. So get on it. And honestly, this is probably the least expensive way to work with me and Brooke because we both have our accelerators, which are significantly more, but this is a good first step into our universes. Brooke,
2: this has been so fun. I always love doing this. We'll have to find another, copy
1: to do another mini series. Of course. We can talk to all the people who buy. I would buy it right now. And I will say... Summer is a great time to plan because from a fundraising standpoint, you get a little bit of a lull. So in order to get ready for the fall, this is a good
2: place to start. That's right. So richybabbage.com backslash fund your strategic vision. And Rhea, it is always wonderful talking to you.
1: So fun. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.